Nehemiah. Nehemiah will be the uh, passage of Scripture that we're in today. Um, if it's been uh, a week or two since I've seen you last, you might notice that uh, we've got green back. We, were, we had green colors on the altar all through, uh, all through the summer and into the fall, and then we changed the purple and lightened things up for Advent, and now, dadgummit, we're back to green. Uh, well, green signifies common seasons. In the season of Epiphany, that's the season that comes after Christmas. We celebrate little baby Jesus, and then we enter right back into another common season of teaching, and it's called After the Epiphany. And uh, that is the season that we're in, and we mark this season by the color green. So this morning, let us turn our attention, growing into the Lord in this common season through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it will be uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to skip around a few parts. We're going to skip a couple verses. Um, so just take note of that if you're following along and all of a sudden I jump ahead. It's, uh, it's the lectionary's fault. We can blame that. Okay. Let us read together Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square. Just inside the water gate, they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon, and he read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Now I'm going to skip to verse 5. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen. As they lifted their hands, then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Going to go to verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who were interpreting for the people, said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. So, if you are familiar with the situation of Nehemiah, I can't, Rex, I can't make this stuff up, okay? Now listen, I'm going to tell you the context, but I promise you, the lectionary is just prophetic. They assigned this scripture to us, okay? I, Terry, I didn't go finding what would be most controversial to preach about this morning, all right? I wasn't trying. I'm just telling you, okay? This is how it is. So the Israelites, I think, I find it, Bonnie, to be comical. 
The Israelites are, are not this part. The Israelites are kicked out of Jerusalem and Israel and uh, Judea. And they are held captive um, in what is now modern-day Iraq in a town called Babylon. 150 so years go by, and uh, the political regimes switch leaders, and one by the name of Cyrus lets the Israelites go back from Babylon, released from captivity, back to their hometown in Jerusalem. And when they get back to Jerusalem, guess what they find? One, nobody is there. Okay. Everybody has left because the town had been abandoned because it's in, essentially it's in war, right? It has been taken over and no one, no one is there. Now Jerusalem, as we talked about last week, that's still the city of promise. That doesn't change. It's just the city of promise has been taken over by an evil empire. Cue the Star Wars music. And so they come, so they come back. They come back 150 years and what do they find? Everybody's gone. And their wall, they had a wall. I can't make this stuff up, Joyce. They had a wall. It went around the city. It was a good wall. It was a beautiful wall. It was the prettiest wall you've ever seen, okay? And uh, uh, it, was around, it was around the city, and then during, during exile, that wall got destroyed. And so Nehemiah felt that he was called uh, to build a wall, right? That's, uh, that's just, if you read the, you can't tell the story without saying that's what he felt. He felt he was called, not that wall, not the wall we're thinking of, another wall. It's the wall that goes around the, around the city of Jerusalem. He was called to build a wall, and so he builds a wall, all right? So he, he, he does it. The government sees him, raises the funding for it, and they build the wall. It's a great wall. They celebrate, and this is the day after the wall has been built, Okay. What does the wall symbolize? It's not that wall. Don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going to talk, Chris, about that wall. But this wall, what does this wall symbolize? Honestly, probably not that much different, really. I mean, for some, our wall represents security and safety, right? For some, that's what they see in it. But that's what they saw in Jerusalem, too. It, it made them, it distinguished them as a people, as a city, and it kept them safe and secure. It was an identity marker. It was kind of like God's promise was coming back again for them. This was the celebration. We are being made one again. Notice that when they gather as a community, they don't gather in the temple. They gather in the where? Where was it? I've forgotten. Thank you. I remember now. It was the water gate. They gathered at the water gate, which was, if they went to the temple, they would have to separate men and women and children and adults. They would be separated. And so they didn't gather there. They gathered where they could all be together to all come into unity one more time. And the wall helped symbolize that. But more than the wall, the main thing that brought them together, what was it? The law of Moses. And some people will refer to that as the Torah. Now, the Torah was more than just the law of Moses, which was the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, or Numbers, then Deuteronomy. <laughs> Who went to seminary? I failed. Ah. Those are the first five books. Some people refer to those five books as the Torah, but the Torah, the law, it's more than that. So what is the law of the Lord. The law reveals, here you go, Carson, you got this up? One more. Boom, there it is. So the law, or the Torah, 
It was more than maybe what we read about when we read Romans. Or we read about Paul's instructions that the law uh, kills us, <laughs> defeats us. Um, it's more than that. They believed that the law instructed them on the character of who God was. And when we speak about God, when we say the name of God, who is it that we're exactly talking about? Fred Phelps uses the same name, God. Is it the same God? Are we talking about the same exact God? This is what the Israelites, this is why there was a law. So that when you said the name God, was it the same God that the Akkadians were talking about? Was it the same God that the Babylonians were worshiping? Which God are we talking about? When you say God, what do you mean when you say God? So they invented and made, not invented, they were inspired to write down the commands of the Lord, the Torah, the instructions. When we talk about God, who is it that we're talking about? So Tim, one of the things that we notice in this passage of Nehemiah is that it wasn't just the walls that made them a people. It was their yearning for the instructions of the character of God. You see there in the very beginning of chapter 8, the people came together as one. And what did they ask of Ezra? Bring us, man, above all else. Bring us the law of the Lord. When was the last time, man, you were like, you were really hungry for your identity. And what you said was, you got off Facebook, and what you said was, please bring me the first five books of the law. <laughs> I found that to be really interesting this week. That above all else, before they went to Instagram, before they saw how many mentions they got on Twitter, as they were trying to mine, find mine and try to find out who they were <laughs> and what their identity was, the people that, whose city was crumbled, whose walls were destroyed, just now being rebuilt. Their identity was torn away from them. These are people that had lived in a foreign land. They were trying to find out, is God really who God said he was? Is that God really true? Is that God real? Will that God actually come through? And so they wanted to remember. They wanted to remember the promises of old in the days of yesteryear, they wanted to be certain, man, that God was going to do what God said he would do. So instead of finding their identity and their purpose and their mission in any other form, they asked for the first five books to be read out loud. If I did that, if I said, tomorrow we're going to find out what God has asked us to do at Chipman Commons with this 27,000 square foot facility, we're going to read the first five books out loud. Our attendance would be one. It'd be me. <laughs> and I'm not saying that for guilt. I'm just saying that doesn't really sound that great, does it? They saw something in here other than homework. They saw something about when we said the first five books, they saw something in that more than guilt and shame of not being who they should be. They identified something in the law that when I say law, your faces get like, you like scrunch up. Like, mm, I do too. When I say Sunday school, you go, do I have to go? And for these people, the law of the Lord represented something more than an obligation. Is that making sense? That's the whole point there. This was more than an obligation. This was storytelling. This was Character finding. But how is character formed? Well, first, I, I guess I should say, what is character? <laughs> what is it that this story forms in these people? Well, character, you would know this. 
It's qualities that are distinctive in a person. They're distinguishable in a person. It sets you apart, right? It's what makes you, Steve, different than me. (laughs) You have a distinctive, distinguishable quality about you. I think these people, Emily, were hungry to know, man, what is the distinctive, distinguishable quality of God? And is it still pertinent to me today? What sets us apart as people of Yahweh, as people of God? What is so distinct? What is so distinguishable about us? The thing about character That character can't be found in a vacuum. So, for instance, this is a bit off script, but suppose I wanted to find today who I was in the Lord. I believe this to be true, John. If I were to just take the Bible and go bury myself in a closet, I would be hard-pressed to find it. What would happen, Stu, is when I came out of my closet, after spending all my time trying to find myself and my identity in this book... I would come out, Scott, with a really, really clear interpretation of what I think about Jesus and what I think about Christianity. And what you would get is Jacob formed, that's my full name, Jacob formed in the image of Jacob. (laughs) Having language of Scripture, having imagination of Jacob. (laughs) Character. Character, Mark, cannot be formed in isolation. All right. You're all going to cringe here, okay? This is the whole purpose for the community of faith. Character is always formed in community, always. You didn't learn how to be a parent. Well, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't use that one. Well, let me just not try to come up with an illustration on the spot. That would probably be better for everybody. Character is formed in relation to something else. Always. The story of your family is formed as you tell it together. The story of your school, since this is Education Sunday, the story of your school is formed as you go together, in class, together, in presence, together, every day learning and growing, and your identity is formed there together. Who we are as Americans is formed as we tell the story. When do we start? A lot of times we start 1776, right? It's hard pressed to know who we are without someone else to tell the story to. Here's the issue with the Israelites coming together. The wall had just been built. They're longing for the law. Why? Because their story had been disjointed. They had been in service for 150 years to a foreign king with foreign gods. The breath of these people began to breathe over them a totally different story. They begin to say things like you're nothing but a slave. And so the character, the, the character inside the Israelites begin to be formed in relation and in view of what? A slave. They were told that they were worth nothing, so they began to have the character of nothing. They were told that they would never go home, and so they began to have a character of hopelessness. You see, our character will always be formed in in, in view of some sort of relationship. And so for the Israelites, when they were oppressed by an outside story, by a foreign power, their character was shaped by that narrative. 
But suppose you had another story, Maria, to read. A story, Jim, that wasn't about law. Not like when we think about law, when we think about attorneys and prosecutors and defenders and that sort of thing. Not like that. Law-like character. Suppose there was a story that revealed the distinctive, distinguishable qualities of something that uh, created the world. Suppose there was a story that talked about a God who entered into creation, creating incompletion, right? Incomplete wholeness in this God. This, this God with spirit, with passion and creativity. He breathed, right? This God breathed and creation came to be bearing the same exact spirit. And together in relationship, they co-created and produced everything else. Suppose that there was a story that talked about a personal, intimate God who so cared and so loved that he decided he would never create without the participation of the other. So always in relationship, always together, the rest of the world would progress. I think that that's what they mean when they talk about Torah. And so Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they're not about what to do after partying and getting drunk on Saturday night. I guess that's kind of how we, sometimes when we talk about religion, we talk about the things that we can't do. That was one of them, right? I think, is that one? Saying a cuss word, that's another one, okay? Is this... I mean, right? Or am I the only one that grew up, grew up in a church who had all these laws, right? And what it meant to be a Christian was to not do these things. And so when we talk about law, we, I think, Chris, we get mixed up sometimes. And we think about, oh, man, I've already had sex before marriage, so I'm screwed, right? Well, uh, that was a bad word. That was bad. That was bad. Oh, boy. This will be one of those stories that I tell. It was nice being your pastor. I'll see you in another life. Yeah, oh boy. We make, <laughs> we do things, we call them mistakes. And some of them begin, some of us begin to draw boundaries around us saying, well then now I'm no longer allowed in that community or whatever. Because I've broken those rules or I've broken those laws. Or bro Sorry for the mistake there. But I, I would like us to view God, different than that, if you're okay with that. If you're all right for once, and I'm not saying there's not an ethic. No, there's an ethic. That means behavior. For those that might not know what ethic means, that means behavior. No, there's definitely a behavior in the community of faith. And I think God has something very beautiful to say about sex in particular. It's there. I don't want you to hear me say, like, lawlessness. No, 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 no. I'm trying to say that outside relationship, Rochelle, with the story, outside relationship with the character of whom God is, outside the garden, outside that place where we walked in the cool of the night with God, hand in hand, co-participants, outside that we do not know what God means. And so we can quickly grab for this book and try to find six verses that make our point and we rip them out of context and we preach them passionately just don't know if we can know whom God is 
without yearning for his character. Without crying out. And, and just a quick word about lamenting. <laughs> lamenting is the process when we find out we're not living the way that God has asked us to live, that is why the Israelites in this passage, when they hear the heart of God and the character of God, they realize they have been so far separated that they ripped their clothes, sackcloth and ashes, and hit their knees. I'll come back to that in a minute because Nehemiah says, stop that. <laughs> I'll come back to that in a minute. But that's why they lament because they realize they're not whom God called us to be. I don't know about you, but let me just, I won't even ask you a question. I'll just tell you, we are not living always, especially in our culture, the way in which God has asked us to live. There are all sorts of things that are wrong. So whose job is it to cry out? The community of faith, and we must cry out. We must save room for us to name the things that are not right, for the things that don't look like God and the things that don't look like the garden. I actually think, Joyce, that it's a good thing when we start crying out and, for lack of better words, complaining about things not looking the way God intended. Because it signifies that you're beginning to long for something that you can't be in control of. It's beginning to pave the ground for longing for God's breath and God's words and God's relationship. So I want to say three things about God's character. I want to say that God is one, that God is diverse, and that God is delight. And I'll hope, if all things go well, that I'll tie this together with what I just said. God is one. We know that God is one from the, the very first verse in that passage of Nehemiah. All the people gathered as one. <laughs> Wherever God is in Scripture, God unifies. Wherever the presence of the Spirit is, God brings together. In the very beginning, in the creation of the garden, God has talked about plurally. God says, let us create in our image. But it's not three different people doing three different things. It's one and creation that works in harmony. What is the character and quality of God? Well, it's one. So if you're speaking in the name of God and what you're finding is it's dividing people, it's damning people, it's splitting your home, go back to the garden. Start walking again. Ask God to show you his unity. God is one. But unity is not the same as conformity. And so when I say God is one, I don't mean that everyone will now look like Jake Edwards. Praise be to God, Sarah, right? Right? That, that to be Christian, you have to wear skinny jeans and a blazer. <laughs> now, just to be a cool Christian. That's, that's, <laughs> that God is diverse. That what we find when we journey with the Lord, that God is one. But that doesn't mean everybody looks the same. Come on, church, in 2019. We need to lean into this. It's not homogenous. God is not homogenous, meaning everyone is the same cultural and ethnic background. No, God is diverse. 1 Corinthians, Paul, we love Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. Think about the garden, just real quick. Think about the garden. The entire garden is one, but not every orange is an orange, right? 
There's apples and there's bananas and there's coconuts. There's all sorts of different trees. There's all sorts of different fish and all sorts of different animals. But it's all one. It's all part of God's design. But it's all so beautifully diverse. God's kingdom. God's character. When we cry out for God to show us who God is, God reveals himself as one unifying power. Brother and brother. Sister and sister. But white brother and black sister. Can't go too far with this, Shelly. I'll get thrown out of here. But we really should lean deep into what God does through the Spirit in Jesus Christ. We ought to look deep into it because the doors to the church are flung wide open for the diversity of God's creation and expression being drawn together into one, not behavior, into one person and that person has a character and quality that will form our behavior i i hope i'm not too bonnie just stop me please if i'm too too far off god's one god's diverse god's character is a delight there's much more to say about god's character than three things but the three things i wanted to say today is one diverse and delight back to psalm 19 when we read psalm earlier in the day the precepts of the Lord, that's commands, that's laws, right? What was David? Shelly, David was messed up, man. What was he talking about? The precepts of the Lord are right. And what do the laws of the Lord do? Because the laws are not letters on a paper. The law that David is talking about, the law that enters our spirit and rejoices our heart, that instructs Nehemiah to say, don't cry, get up and let's celebrate. Why? Because that law <laughs> is not a book. That law is a person. He shows up one day at temple before anyone knows who he is. He shows up and he says, what are we reading today? And they said, Isaiah. He said, oh, great. And so he picks up Isaiah and he opens up Isaiah and he reads one of the most fundamental, foundational scriptures in the Old Testament. That Yahweh will come and Yahweh will make you a people. He will gather up the lost. He will lease the captives. He will redeem and sustain the poor. And I, by the way, am that Torah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was that dude who showed up at synagogue and read Isaiah. What is the character of God? It's the person of Christ. Where Jesus goes and what Jesus says, where Jesus walks and what Jesus does, that is what God is like. And so when the Israelites gathered together and they said, give us the law of Moses, what they were after was give us the heart of God. Show us your character and make us your people. Form us in your story. Let us act like you and walk like you and be like you. It cannot happen outside relationship. So God sends his son to do what? To have relationship. And God sends the Spirit to gather us up. So guys, we can't do whatever we mean when we talk about doing church. We can't do it without one another. 
But there's one important part. It's not just about picking a small group and showing up to it, and then all of a sudden you're, you're good to go. No, we need to show up together and yearn for the character and quality of Christ. We have to call on the name of Jesus. We have to walk with Jesus, have a personal relationship with Christ. Man, you know that we make up all sorts of scary things about God, and I just don't think that's who he is. You ought to walk with him. You ought to talk with him. He's made it possible for us to be gathered up into his person, and he's, he's not making you to be Nancy Nazarene. <laughs> he's making you to be like Christ to bear the character and quality, to be one who unifies, a one who has a diverse of expressions, and one who is a delight. So let's knock off being serious all the time. We can rejoice in Jesus. We can delight in the precepts of the law. We can be gathered up into the character of Christ and be made as one that meets the very serious needs of this world but meets them with a smile and a rejoicing that if they just would get to know our God, if they would just come dance in the garden with us, there would be delight for all. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for Nehemiah. And I thank you for your grace when we say things that we should not say. Lord, thank you for being present with us this morning. And Father, moving in your Son, Jesus. May we be unified in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, that's exactly why we receive communion every single week. To be gathered.